Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm really good, thanks. Jordana. Yes. You are the founder or creator of Chicks Who Rides Bikes. Yes, that's right. Which is a business? It, you know what? It hasn't been a business for long when it was originally created I guess it was a little bit more of a, a side passion project to try and get women yep. into cycling and I didn't really think of it as a um, you know like a commercial business model but the more of my time that I put into it the more I keep thinking you know what I think there is a market in this and whether the customer is women who actually ride or whether the customer is businesses who want to be able to serve the market better I started to realize oh I think there is actually something in this but that's probably a little bit more recent well there's lots of chicks riding bikes now yeah lots of them and there's thousands around the world who hashtag chicks who rides bikes there are but you, yeah they probably don't know you well, you certainly probably don't know them yeah it, it is funny because I, I do find that people probably know of me or know who I am, but I might not know them. And that's been an interesting, um, an interesting situation to be in if I turn up to an event or, uh, or something like that. And people go, oh, my God, hi, like, thanks so much for, you know, helping me get into cycling. And it's kind of like I don't know these people personally, but it, that's really what fuels the, the, the project and, you know, just social media and chicks who ride bikes in general mm. so what what made you do it um well when i was 25 i was diagnosed with cancer with melanoma and i went through a whole bunch of treatment at the peter mccallum center in melbourne which is the the cancer hospital there and i i guess i was just feeling so grateful to live in Australia where the healthcare is so good and everything was free and it was incredible and because I was born in the US and it's certainly not the case there and um, I was in a local cafe uh, about six months later and I saw a poster a little flyer thing for the ride to conquer cancer and it was benefiting the Peter Mac Center and I thought oh that'd be so great I'd love to be able to raise money and give something back you know for all the treatment that I'd received and everything like that um, and then when I looked closer at the poster it was a, a bike ride and it was 200 k's over two days and I thought you know what I think I can do this I'm going to commit to this but step one of course was learning to ride a bike because so you hadn't ridden I never um I never did before and so um yeah I suppose the process of going okay I want to learn how to ride a bike that was kind of one step and okay well now I need to buy my own bike and how do I do that and everything is so new and scary and what is what are these levers for and how do I change gears and there was just a lot of um there, there was a lot to learn and I had a great motivation, like I had an event that I wanted to kind of complete that had a personal goal for me, but it really made me realize, wow, like there's a lot to learn. And I suppose if you don't want to go down the path of competitive cycling, so joining a club and training for races and that kind of thing, there wasn't really a lot of um, like a structure or a club kind of thing for people yeah. who women who want to get into it. This is almost like a worldwide club now, isn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, I like to think that it is a a global 
kind of community, which is really nice. And yeah, so just being able to help out, not only people who are in my position, like maybe they didn't write as kids or maybe they did, but it'd been such a long time mm. since they'd given it a try yeah. to get into it and really just paying attention to these are obstacles that are actually quite real mostly for women and yeah so it's, I've, I think it's resonated the message that we've tried mm, to definitely. get across which is just get out there and give it a try and it doesn't matter how fast or slow you go or how far you go. Mm. Some of your uh, posts mention using sunblock. Yeah. 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 So, so what actually, how did you know you had a melanoma? Oh, well, I mean, I was incredibly fortunate. Mine was on my chest, so it was kind of visible, you know, in your daily routine, you know, getting ready for work or whatever you look in the mirror to, you know, as you probably would do your hair and trim your beard. And for me, it was, you know, doing the morning ablutions. And I guess just I spotted something on my chest and went, oh, that's, I don't remember that being there. And the first couple of days, I, I just thought to myself, oh, I'm sure it's nothing because, you know, you always think these things happen to other people and not to you. So I kind of just went, um, you know, along with my day and then days turned into weeks and whatever. And I thought, oh, no, there's something just not quite right here. Like, I'm sure I would have remembered this thing being there. Mm. It was kind of like this blue kind of weird colored thing. Anyway, so I went to the, um, the doctor while I was getting like a repeat for my pill prescription. And while I was there, I said to the doctor, oh, could you just take a look at this? I think it's not quite right. And anyway, so she did, and she took a look at it through a little um, magnifying glass skin thing, and she went, yeah, "That's you've got to, that's got to come out today, basically." Right. Yeah. Wow. So it was all quite fast from there. So mm. I guess they can see from the shape of it under the magnifying glass that it's not not normal. Mm. So anyway, like I had surgery basically that day. And then they sent it off to the lab and then, yeah, like from then I kind of knew that it wasn't great because I already had a little bit of a sinking feeling like, oh, I don't think this is very good. But um, yeah, I mean, imagine if it was on your neck or yeah. on your back or something. You'd have something. to rely on someone else pointing yeah, it out. Yeah, like, and the difference between a couple of weeks can make the difference between life and death, literally. Because it's a pretty savage cancer, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, so it grows its own blood vessels and it so yeah it basically spreads superficially across your skin but then it di dives down and once it kind of connects with your um, capillaries and you know your your kind of internal system you can't it's not yeah you, you basically can't stop it you can't cure it it could pop up anywhere your brain bones lungs so it's like wow. really a millimeter or a, you know of growth down can mean the difference between you'll you'll die from this and you'll be all right and so that can just be weeks like mm. and so if you had something so it's really fortunate for me that mine was on my front and I kind of but even I left it for a few weeks because you just assume like yeah it's not gonna happen to me it happens to old people or mm. like yeah people who just like sunbake at the beach all day yeah. not me and then, yeah, so they called and they said, yeah, it's a melanoma um, and we didn't get like, so you have to have um, surgery to get what they call clear margin. So they have to kind of cut a, a shape out, football kind of shaped skin. And then they see whether all of the margins of what they cut out are clear of cancer. And if they're not, then you have to go back. And I had to go back 
again to get more. Um, yeah, and so it's kind of nerve wracking because you're waiting to kind of see whether everything's all right. And mm. um, yeah, and so then they do all the tests and everything. And I think it was like three or four months until they said, we've got, you know, we've got clear margins and I didn't have to get put on any um, chemo or drugs or radiation or anything. It was just a wait wait and see if it kind of crops up anywhere else. And it's, yeah, it's not pleasant kind of just going, oh my God, like what, what happens? Yeah. It just brings everything, your mortality into your mind. Cause it's like, well, what I'm 25, what happens if I'm fucked? You mm, know, like, yeah. what do I do? Yeah. And so then you kind of get past that time and you're always a little cautious, like every, like for the next year, every time I got a headache or like a sore whatever i was like oh my god it's spread you know and then slowly kind of your hypochondriacism whatever you call it like settles down you get back into a normal um a normal rhythm of life but yeah it's pretty nerve-wracking so you used it as motivation yeah well i mean i think that it it really was a coin toss i i mean the first charity that i raised money for after I did the ride to conquer cancer was a, um, a charity called the melanoma awareness foundation. And it was started in Queensland by a woman whose daughter, she was my age and she had the same, um, level cancer as me, but hers grew back and she died at 26 or 27. And so her mom started this charity melanoma awareness foundation in honor of her daughter and to try and get, um, preventative kind of measures out there, like wearing sunblock and things. And so, yeah, I really, when I met Tracy and it was her daughter, Amanda, that passed away, I kind of thought that easily could have been my mom and me, mm. but it wasn't. I'm on the side where it was like, wow, fear, how lucky. I don't have to, you know, like for the meantime, don't have to worry about that. Whereas she's living like hell every day because yeah, like just so happened that her daughter's was on the back of her shoulder and you might not look at it every day mm. and it could be one more, one more week, two more too weeks late. and it's too late. So I kind of look at it. Um, I, I guess a little bit of motivation, but just a little bit of, wow, that was a real close call. What am I going to do with this, all this extra time that I might not have been given, but that I have. Mm. Yeah. What do you think about the conversation? Uh, like we need vitamin D yeah. from the sun. <laughs> and some people are saying that, that some or many sunscreens aren't good for you. Um, I think that every, everything's a balance. I mean, certainly if I'm going out for a ride and I'm going to be in the sun for hours, which is kind of like longer than just walking to the shops or going for a walk around the block or whatever. Um, yeah, so I think it's just about common sense. If you're out exercising and, and cyclists, especially, I think we're normally out for, you know, a few two, hours. Yeah. Two, mm. three, four hours. That's yeah. like longer than, um, and probably even if, you know, in the weekend, but that might be in the middle of the day. And so when you think about the areas that are exposed to the sun, when you're on the bike, cause you're leaning forward, that's like your ears, the back of your neck, places that you could be growing something menacing and, and kind of not mm. realize it, I guess. So yeah, I kind of think if I'm walking to the coffee shop or whatever to get a coffee and it's 10 minutes or 15 minutes and, um, so and whatever. Panic. Yeah. I, w I don't panic about it, but, um, yeah, I mean, I haven't had, I haven't been told that I've got 
deficient vitamin D, but I have heard of people who've just gone completely the other way and cover from head to toe because they've had a scare and then, yeah, they, they have had to take supplements and things. So I think it's just about common sense and balance a little bit, but certainly, yeah, when you exercise, if you're going to be out in the sun, you should, you should wear it. It's a good idea. Yeah. I know Ellie's always at me to do it. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, it's habit. And I think that like there's a spray sunscreen that I use because ugh, sometimes it's like the cream and then you put the cream on and then and it then just becomes a dust. nuisance and whatever. But there's spray that you can use now and I feel like that at least, um, you know, th- there's pros and cons to everything but there's kind of no excuse because you just have to go and even mm. with my husband as well, like, did you put sunscreen on? And I'll just like <laughs> spray him on the neck. He's a mad rider as well, isn't he? Yeah, he's actually out right now. He's doing like a seven-hour Strava art ride with a friend of his, Pete, who loves. He's got a real knack for um, mapping out the art, you know, Strava art. And so they do like these they huge draw things. Ri- yeah, these huge right, okay. rides. So he's out for like seven hours today. <laughs> what are today. they drawing today? I have no idea. Normally Pete knows and Joe only finds out when they get to the pub at the end of the ride. It's probably and then- a penis. <laughs> That would be a good one to do on April 1st, I think. (laughs) Yeah, well, I've never heard of that. Really? What, doing a cock and balls ride or just Strava art? Yeah, Strava art. (laughs) Well, I think some people just like to make their rides a little bit more interesting. I think the last time, the last ride they did was, um, you know, the old SA Great logo? They did the SA Great logo. Okay. So you can see, if you follow my husband on Strava, Tyre Swan is his um, it says handle, you can see the Strava rides that he's done, mm. art rides. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned before that you grew up in America. Yeah. So I was born um, in Connecticut. Mm. My um, birth dad, he is from New York. And my mum, she's a Kiwi, but she had um, met my dad and they moved to the US and lived there for some time when um, when we were born. So my sister and I, we were born in Connecticut and then we moved down to Florida and my brother was born in Florida and we lived there until I was 11. And so we moved from, I did my um, elementary primary schooling in Florida and then, yeah, like basically we were 11 when we, I was 11, my sister was 12 and my brother would have been nine or eight when we moved to New Zealand for the rest of our schooling. Okay. Yeah. What about your dad? What, What did he do? Um, so I guess I understand a little bit better now that I'm older, but as a child, it was always, I'm an entrepreneur and I never really knew what that meant. Um, but essentially he, um, helps inventors or people that have ideas, but maybe don't have the best commercial sense to commercialize them. And so he helps basically either create company value and share value. Yeah. So he basically helps to connect, um, investors and funding and things for people that have good business ideas like at the moment he's working on um a a guy who invented a type of syringe that is supposed to prevent um needle stick injuries which is quite prevalent in the healthcare industry so like whether it's um like vaccinations or whatever to prevent you know contamination um so yeah he's helping this guy who has invented this type of um syringe to be able to sell it for big bucks to um, okay. pharmaceutical companies and then of course in the process of that he gets a cut of a, a large chunk of the the money when you know shares are sold or when the company's acquired 
but he... as a kid you're like what do you do daddy and like you just can't don't yeah you can't really explain it was he into push bikes uh, no, no my dad never really had um a good fitness at all i think he kind of was very um in fact i think eating has really controlled his life in a way like he never really had exercise or anything to that i can remember to even things out and he was always yo-yoing with his weight like to being quite obese and then losing a lot of weight and then yes i think it's yeah as from as far back as i can remember he's either been really obese or normal size Mm. yeah so like just it must yeah it just it must be quite hard for his brain and his body like and not having exercise to regulate that he does it all through diet Mm. yeah yeah and we know that the exercise is vital yeah and even walking and and that kind of thing are like i can't remember him ever having something physical that he did really yeah okay like ever I used to play tennis with my brother, but that normally constituted standing still while my brother hit the ball to him. Like, I can't remember him ever, like, running, running. or, yeah. yeah, like, exerting himself. Mm. Yeah. Is he still in the States? He actually lives in um, Tweed Heads. Australia? Uh, yes, okay. yeah. So he moved, he lived in the States for a long time, and then he moved back to new zealand for a little while and now he's moved to to tweed heads so um yeah he he lives there i think the last time i saw him was um maybe a year or so ago yeah yeah okay so you end up uh, moving to new zealand with your mum and dad yes yeah but that didn't work out so well uh, I mean, it worked out for me. I was mm. quite happy to go to high school in New Zealand because I have Facebook stalked some of the people that I've gone to elementary school with in the US. And I'm thinking, God, I'm really glad I didn't have that as a high school oh, okay. experience because I think the US has such a fixation on just the way you look and not mm. about... Yes, yeah, so I, um, I was really glad that New Zealand was a really casual kind of way to grow up to grow up i mean i was wearing like dorky matching tracksuits until i was like 14 or 15 whereas like in the states like i had already had um friends who had signed up to have boob jobs and stuff like that and it just would never have occurred to me like Mm. having that high school experience in new zealand so i think it worked out in that way but i am really grateful that we had the experience that we did so it was like going from the big city to a country town yeah and it wasn't really about the size of the 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 community i think it's just about what people value it's almost a self-worth thing like i really felt that there was a greater connection to playing for the sake of it and just like being a kid there's more value placed on that in new zealand like almost like oh, there's plenty of time to be an adult. While you're a kid, just be a kid. Mm. Um, Whereas I think in the US, it's like everything's preparing you for college applications and this and that. And it like forces you into this. The pressure. um, Yeah. And a different kind of pressure. It's not that there's no incentive to go to uni or anything in New Zealand. It's just that you don't have to start thinking about being 25 when you're 11, Mm. you know, whereas like they really have you on a track yeah, I read something today that uh, they're saying that our children aren't playing outdoors enough. 
I would say climbing that's in true. trees and playing on uneven ground and having an adventure. Yeah. yeah, I think it's probably harder for the for my parents' generation because they were that didn't have an alternative. You know, technology wasn't really it existed, but it wasn't super accessible, especially if you didn't come from a really well-off family. Mm. Um, and then, you know, our age, I'm 34, so my age, I can remember both. So we definitely had video games and technology, but we certainly get outside and play and don't yeah. come home until six o'clock kind yeah. of thing. So I can remember that. But I guess people who are parents now, yeah, like I guess it's They're just harder. They're nervous about letting their child out the front. Yeah, and I mean, is that because there's more crazy people out there or is that because the internet and technology is enabled like there's the same number of those crazy people but the technology that we have today has enabled them just to be more pervasive or is it just that the media sensationalizes yeah. Yeah, things I and about reports that. things more it's like i don't know if is there more crazy people than when you were a kid i think there are because i think drugs are more accessible now and I think that there are more people on drugs than we actually realize that mm. there are on drugs. I yeah. think like when I was a kid, people on drugs were kind of like heroin addicts that you saw in the, you know, in the street and whatever. But now it's like you can actually take drugs and live a relative, like you could be a doctor or a lawyer or a politician or any of these things and actually, yeah. So I do think that there are more crazies because we don't really understand the the impact that drugs are having on our brain chemistry. Mm. And I think we'll understand that for a long time. And even diet and just a whole the whole lot of um, lifestyle changes between my grandparents' generation and my parents and mine. I mean, like the lifestyle is just completely different from you know, and some good things, but also some things that I think uh, we won't really understand the impact of it for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's where the bike riding is so good mm. because anyone can do it. And it's oh. low impact. Yeah. And I just think that it's a great vehicle for travel and adventure as well. And that doesn't necessarily mean going to Italy or riding the, you know, Alpe d'Huez, although you can do that if you want, but it could just be seeing your neighborhood mm. in a different way. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I think causes a lot of anxiety and just, you know, feeling like you're in a rut is you go to work, you come home and you cook dinner and then you go to bed and then it's just that same old. Whereas riding a bike, you know, even if you ride to work or even if you cut through the park on the way home, like I just find myself going, oh, wow, I never noticed that little house or, oh, look at those duckies. They're really cute. It just gives your brain something to enjoy instead of just being frustrated that you're sitting in traffic and I think people don't really understand the 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 difference that something small like that can make and for me I think women aren't as good at making me time I've noticed I think it's a broad brush statement but I think men are a lot better at just saying I ride on Tuesdays and Thursdays and that's what I do and I'm taking that me time and I'm not apologizing for it nor should you because everyone should be doing that. Mm. I don't think women are as good at doing that. And so I think that as, as many little things as you can do to just say, I ride my bike to work, so I have to leave an hour before I start to make sure that I can get there. And, you know, I think just deciding to do things like that actually have a really great accumulative effect. 
Yeah, that's a, a great way of putting it. Mm. I go to a lot of mountain bike parks and you see lots of groups of women. And it's really good to see. It is. Because they're all encouraging each other. Yeah. Um, bigger groups than what you see with men. I th- Yeah, I think so. Although I still notice that there's they happen less often. So there might be bigger groups, but they happen less often. So, for example, like... My husband um, rides oh, like four or five times a week, but he's got a Tuesday night crew and a Thursday night crew and a Sunday afternoon crew. And they might all be different kind of people that he rides with each time, but it's like the same place. They meet at the same place at the same time. And if you turn up, you turn up. And if you don't, and if you're not, if you're late, too bad, you'll catch up, you know, where we're going. So it's this kind of routine thing where it just happens, where I think, like I've noticed a lot, and I, I'm guilty of it as well, going, oh, I can't make it this week. Oh, well, will we just reschedule? Because, I, you know, like there's a lot of that that women do instead of just going, no, six o'clock on a Tuesday, we meet here, whoever's there is there, whoever's not is not. Yeah. I think there's a lot more of like a, oh, you know, well, maybe we'll just make it tomorrow night and then that never happens and then suddenly it's been three weeks and then people go, oh, let's get together on this day and then a big group turns up. Yeah. So I think... So it's a bit more ad hoc, like uh, I just get think, on Facebook and say anyone want to ride and... Yeah, or no just one. make it, make a routine. But I mean, I it's easy to say, but I'm as guilty of doing it as, as anyone else, I think. And then there's also the, I don't want to hold anyone up, so I'd rather ride with one person than in a big group. But then if you're only riding with one other person, it's kind of like, like Ellie and I, it's like, oh, I couldn't ride on Tuesday. So, you know, like if you cancel on the other person, they're kind of like left on their own. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think there's some... Um, more habitual things that I myself and other women could probably do to mm. to make it a little bit more regular. Mm. Yeah, but how good is it? That, it's so great. It's yeah. so great. I love it so much. Mm. Yeah. And you grew up in like in New Zealand in one of the bike riding meccas, really. Oh well, yeah. I went to school in a place called Cambridge, which is near Hamilton, and it it wasn't then when I was at school but now it's had a velodrome built and it's really turned into quite a um a cycling kind of area but I think you're probably referring to Rotorua which is a mountain biking kind of haven people come from all over the world they have crank works there now which is um you know a global mountain biking kind of festival event um, yeah, and my mum, she still lives in Tauranga, which is around two and a half hours southeast of Auckland. It's about 45 minutes from Rotorua. And yeah, but living at home and going to school there, like I never rode, so I, it never occurred. Like I had no idea that this this place that was just an absolute haven for mountain bikers was so close because I mm. never knew what it was. And yeah. I think when you're not, when you, when you're not part of a community, you don't see it. It's mm. only no, when you it's just bushland or get something into like that. it. Yeah. Mm. That you're like, Oh wow. Now I see it everywhere. You know, before I rode, I, like bike people were just people with, you know, cuffs on their legs who like rode their bicycle to work, like silly, weird people. Like I just never realized that there were, real people that were yeah yeah, I think I just never really understood what the deal was until I tried it and then I was like oh this is actually really great and then I started to notice it everywhere Mm. yeah and you've been back riding yes yeah yeah Yeah. and then different kinds of riding too and you're right like there are a lot more women riding even from um 
seven or eight years ago, like certainly there's a big difference, I think. Did your mum ride? No, <laughs> although I have managed to get her to commit um, to, to giving it a try, which is a lot more than I have in the past. It's been like, no, sweetie, no, I'm not doing that. But she said, oh, okay, I could give it a go. And I think she's, um, I've told her about e-bikes. Mm. So now she thinks, oh, that's pretty cool. Maybe I could give that a go. So I think that is a market that really is opening up making it even more accessible to do those kind of things. Yeah. Yeah. And your sister rides? And she rides when she can. Yep. So um, my older sister, Alana, she's 35. And she started riding when she came over to live with me in 2018. So a couple of years ago. And um, yeah, so she had to go through the same kind of thing that I had, which is what is a bike? What does it do? How do I work this? Which was entertaining. Um, but she's quite a tomboy and has always been a lot more dairy, I suppose, than me with like, you know, she's the type of person that would backflip into a pool, whereas I would like <laughs> slide in the shallow end and swim out kind of thing. So she was always had that flair about her so I think mountain biking and she's a snowboarder and stuff as well so she really took to it a lot easier than I did I was really jealous because for me it was like ah a stick oh a rock <laughs> like everything used to freak me out when I started riding and she was just like how do I jump how do I skid what mm. like and I was like oh I'm so jealous but um yeah so she got diagnosed with breast cancer a year ago and um like her treatments involved chemo and radiation and kind of things so there's been periods of time where she hasn't felt really that well and then other periods of time where she's like oh this is great um so i think it's a cyclical thing that she's just kind of got accustomed to i think it's every three weeks that she has to have her treatment and so yeah it's basically she has learned to know when she can exert and when she needs to well, rest. I've, and I've seen some of her Instagram posts. She's yeah. still going for it. <laughs> yeah. 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 So she's nothing um, stopping her. Been running and things as well. She was like, "Oh yeah, I did a nine k trail run and whatever." And I just think to myself, "I'm not even sure I could do a nine k trail run, and I've got no excuses." Mm. Um, but I suppose when you have an illness she doesn't want excuses she wants normality and that's the difference is like you you know I'm I don't enjoy running that much so any excuse is a good excuse for me mm. to like not go out and do that but for her it's like well I might you know depending on how long I have I might not be able to do this soon so I want to do it now while I can so it's just a completely different mindset but it's one that's quite hard to mimic unless you don't have you know, you have to be in the position to develop the mindset. Otherwise, it's just, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know how how she could be motivated. I'd probably be on the couch. Well, I, I don't think any, it's one of those things where I don't think any of us really know how, we can try and imagine, like, how would I feel if this happened? And you go, oh, I think I'd be this way, but... In actual fact, none of us know until we ourselves are in that position, I guess. And it's the same with like, if you're in danger or something. Like I always thought that I would be um, like really timid when it came to like a dangerous situation, but I was in South America and um, a guy like tried to mug me. And I was really like, I really surprised myself with how not like, how brave I was what like and do? I could never well I like 
turned like a ninja to protect my bag and like kicked out and stuff and I was like really a lot more like I didn't fight him but honestly like I was really like ready to yeah I was ready and like you but you you can't it's one of those adrenaline situations where you can't go oh I think I'd do this you don't have time to think about it your brain just makes you react in whatever way is natural but if you'd asked me beforehand what do you think you'd react if someone did that? I'd say, oh, I'd run away or I'd just cry or whatever. But it was like, no, you don't really get to choose. And I think that, you know, it's not a high adrenaline situation when you have an illness like my sister does, but she, you kind of just have your mindset develops and however it can. Mm. Like you kind of, the brain's amazing. You just cope. And she's chosen to make the most of it. Yeah, although she wrote a blog um, just this week because she she actually suffers a gambling addiction. She's had it for, I mean, I, I don't know how you just, I don't have the right terminology, so pardon me for people who are listening if I'm using the wrong terms to describe addiction. But I guess you always have it and then something triggers it and it becomes active. At least that's what it kind of seems like to me. And her has kind of started probably... 10 years or so ago and she realized that she really quite liked playing online poker and damn technology like you used to have to get your ass down to a casino and like get chips out and it used to be a whole process to kind of do that whereas now you can just log on to your phone or your ipad and it just with electronic money as well you can really get yourself into a lot of shit quite quickly I think with technology enabled kind of stuff which I'm now I never really had thought about because to me it's like it doesn't make sense like it's a really hard um disease to to empathize yeah it's hard to understand it well what I mean alcohol I can understand Jord loves a wine I can understand that if like things were tough you might want to like down a couple of bottles and forget about your troubles or you know like there's certain addictions where I'm like yeah okay I can kind of understand that but it's like I just can't understand the mindset of going oh I, all I need is to like play a hand of poker and forget my troubles and just bet thousands of dollars like it just doesn't make sense to me so it was a really new thing to have to kind of get my head around and of course with her cancer diagnosis and everything like that that's an incredibly stressful thing to go through so of course it it brought this um you know she was recovering and had done really well after her first um bout with uh gambling addiction and then yeah it kind of I guess brought brought the disease active again and so yeah like I guess no one really knows what's going on behind closed doors and the fact that you know for a little while we thought everything was great because you ask people how they're doing and they say I'm doing great and so unless you have a reason to say I don't think you are doing great you just accept that and go oh wow that's so amazing not knowing that she's actually supplementing her coping mechanisms with this you know, secret kind of thing. Yeah. So I'm glad it came out because I think, you know, it's well, not you, nice to have a secret. Now that you know secret. you can be supportive. Yeah, but I think for people, like I've talked to her at length about it and I think she's, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot more guilt associated with relapsing because the first time something happens, it's kind of like everyone's shocked and, you know, oh my God, I can't believe it and oh, I'll help you through this and whatever. But, you relapse and relapse 
and relapse and people start just kind of thinking, oh, well, you're choosing to do this, like despite how difficult it's been, you know. So I think it's just remaining supportive of the fact that it is a disease you know, so she has two diseases. She's got cancer and she also has a gambling addiction that's trying to just get, it's hard to be a supportive person if you don't really accept it for what it is. Cause as soon as you start thinking, oh, you know, she's doing it on purpose or whatever, you can't be supportive cause you're resentful or angry or whatever. So it really takes a lot of, um, of, of mental preparation to be a support person. Yeah. Someone yeah. What, what sort disease. of conversation can I have? Yeah. And yeah. also what is, you know, you, you don't want to take away someone's independence and, you know, cause the first thing you want to do is just be like, Oh, well I'm managing all your finances. You know, you just, mm. what you want to do is just take everything so that they can't fuck it up. But mm. it's actually not the right way to deal with an adult. Cause she's not a child. She's an mm. adult. And you actually have to treat the, not just the symptoms, which is the money side of things, it's what's causing that. Is it a mental illness, gambling? I don't know if it's classified as a mental illness, possibly, but I know that it's a, you know, it's considered a disease. I know that studies have shown that the same, like, center of the brain lights up, whether it's gambling or drugs or alcohol or whatever, so it's that um, pleasure-seeking, quick-fix type of mm. behavior. I, yeah, I don't have enough psychology knowledge to like know the terminology i just know that yeah like there's a compulsion aspect of it that is different from someone like well, i don't know if you have any like have had any addictions i have like kit kats <laughs> like but compulsively secretively eating kit kats so you hide them from early you put them <laughs> in the trash under other trash so she can't see when you've been eating them you sit in the closet eating them when you should be outside socializing you know it's that kind of anti-social secretive mm. behavior and what a burden to carry is how i keep myself in a supportive mindset is like what a terrible thing to live your life, a, you know, like a dual life where, you know, there's most of the world see you as one thing, but in actual fact, you're living your own secret life and what a terrible burden to bear. So I suppose that that's the thought pattern that keeps me um, positive and supportive as opposed to like, oh, what the fuck are you doing? You know, <laughs> like it's so easy to, you know, to flip to that. Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah, that support role is not an easy one. It's not, no. And I mean, her her wife has a different support role. Like, I'm a sister, so there's certain things probably that I could say that maybe you'd be a little bit more careful or you'd say in a different way if it was your partner or your daughter or whatever. Mm. I think siblings have a, yeah. a more direct, I guess, yep. um, relationship, which can be a good thing, I think, or it can be a tough thing because... You know, I might know her really well, but maybe I know her well, in you a know different her as a way yeah, yeah. Than, than other people. Yeah, you yeah. don't know what she's like at home. That's true, mm. yeah. Or any of us, for that matter. Yeah, that's mm. true. What about your mum? She helped trying to help her? Yeah, um, I think for a mother, it's an incredibly difficult thing because I don't have children, but... I can imagine and from everything I've been told it's like you would just go to the ends of the earth you just do anything for mm. your kids mm. and I think that it's a really tough line to to keep firm when it's 
I want to do everything I can for her, but I don't want to enable her. And that's a very difficult thing because when you have someone asking, when you have a child asking you for something, you know, whether it's money or whatever, and you just think, what well, am I? Of course, I would give you the clothes off my back if, if you needed something. But what if what you're asking me for is actually going to be detrimental for you? I think that's, there's, um, there's no easy way and there's no egg timer to kind of go, okay, well, that's this and it's not black and white. Everything is, um, is a gray area. And I suppose because she's, her gambling kind of has happened at the same time, well, her relapse happened at the same time as her cancer diagnosis. It's not a normal circumstance where you can kind of just focus on the one thing. It's, you know, Mm. there's a lot that's happening. And of course, then there's the the mental aspect where it's like, well, who could blame her? God, if you had like a stage four cancer diagnosis, I'd be like, do what you want. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. why, I mean, why deprive yourself of something that you like doing? But yeah. I guess an addiction isn't necessarily something you like doing. It's something you, you, you feel compelled to do. And mm. I think that that's the difference between a, um, a brain without an addiction and a brain with an addiction. Yeah. I guess. So mum's doing, all right, but Alana's diagnosis came in the same week as um, my stepdad died. So my mum's um, second husband, actually third husband. Um, yeah, so he died. She got, um, she had her surgery March 13th and he died March 20th. So it was literally like pretty, pretty close together. So we haven't really had a lot of time as a family to... I guess just get your head around the loss of a loved one and get your head around another loved one that is living with a terminal illness. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a hard thing to, cause you kind of trying to do both at the same time, but it's really, mm. yeah, it's not, it's not easy, especially for my mom, I think. Yeah. Mm. You were really close to him, weren't you? Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it's a hard thing to, it's a hard thing to accept that you're not going to see someone again. It's just like, I think our human earth brains are just not equipped to really process that. And you kind of just go, uh, that's why I think it can take a long time to, to really accept that someone's gone because you kind of go, Oh, you know, this day and age, you can go months, years without seeing the people you love. And so it's very easy to just put it in that box. Like I have a very away or something. Yeah. Like Mm. I have a very best friend who lives in London and I maybe see her once, once a year, if I'm lucky once every two years or so, because it's a long way to fly. Right. But like, yeah, it's just, there's a box in your brain for like people I love, but that I don't see that much. And I think, it's uh, it's difficult because what your brain wants to do is just put everyone in that box because <laughs> then you don't really have to deal with anything. But I suppose when it's someone who was in your life really regularly and of course, like, you know, every time I saw my mom or, you know, then he's been there since I was a teenager and everything. So, of course, like, you, you know, and I was there when he died. So it's like I understand it and my logical brain goes okay, this happened and I actually witnessed it happening. So I know it's happened, but you still kind of don't accept it and don't kind of believe it. So I think I'm probably still in the process of, Mm, yeah, it hasn't been a year yet. So I think there's probably still some moments to come of like, 
oh yeah shit this is actually real yeah yeah, yeah. yeah my dad died over 40 years ago wow and i still have dreams that he's alive wow but, but he's got amnesia so it's him but he doesn't know me wow hmm. i suppose that, and that is such proof that your brain does everything it can to protect you mm. like yeah. your brain is kind of the the guard for your emotions and it like you can convince yourself of anything which is why you know and i had a chat to my sister about gambling and everything yesterday and she said oh it's amazing what you can rationalize yeah. like <laughs> it's amazing what you could what you you can tell yourself and go yeah. oh shit that's a good narrative i'm gonna stick to that because that serves my purpose that's great you know and i think for my mum and i the past year has just been about surviving and getting through and so if the narrative your brain has to tell you is that we'll deal with this later he's just gone away then that's what you kind of just have to do yeah. i think like just to get by yeah there's um there's not a lot of assistance for grieving really there's everyone no... does it differently and yeah. you kind of just make it up yeah and i think um there's no not only is there no right way to grieve? There's no right way to die either. And I got a blown nose. Um, you kind of, movies, books, media, stories kind of thing, uh, you can read as much as you want to prepare you for what that's going to be like. And my dad, he had brain cancer. So there was a lot of uh, things that are probably funny now, but were like really tricky at the time because his symptoms meant that he, you know, had some cognitive impairment as well as physical. So there's a little bit of like his body wasn't well, but he would just obsess about things that just weren't things because, you know, if you've got a brain tumor, it just does wacky things to your brain. You don't really kind of know um, what's him and what's the tumor and whatever, but he used to love to cook um really passionate about cooking and so when he was bed bound and things and couldn't cook anymore i mean he went through a, a time of setting the smoke alarm off and like you know he'd start cooking something and then leave the house and like start a fire and so it started becoming like quite unsafe which now i can go oh god but at the time like imagine how stressful that was for my mom going to work in the morning and not knowing whether he was going to you know, what she was going to come home to every day. So like at the time living it, it was like, this is really stressful and everything. But um, now like looking back, I'm like, oh, that was so silly. But when he was bed bound, he would still be really passionate about food. But my mum and I aren't as, um, let's just say we don't have the same fine um, taste in food. It's kind of like whatever's going around, we'll just eat it and whatever. But he would be super particular about what we fed him and everything. And the only way for us to get by was just to laugh about it. Like, you know, we'd try and make him really nice stuff that he'd enjoy. And he would just be like, this croissant is too crunchy. Do you expect me to eat this crunchy croissant? My mum and I would just be like, oh my God, like, is this our life now? Like, the, and I guess part of grieving is is accepting the situation but also trying to make humor out of it because I think your brain copes the best when you can process things with someone with a little bit of humor or black humor as my mum and I had. We've probably been in Australia long enough to figure out that Australians are good at that. Yeah I mean and you, you yes but not to the extent that you're deflecting I think you still want to be able to feel 
what's happening. You don't mm. want to kind of use humor as a way to not, not deal, deal with, with something. Mm. But I think if you use it to deal with something, it can be really helpful and powerful. And I think my mum and I had a good routine doing that. Cause like she moved home for three months, basically for that reason. Cause she wanted to keep working. Cause she was like, I don't think I could be a full-time carer. I think I would just go crazy. And it's like, good. I'm glad she had the, the strength to say that. Cause I think there's probably a lot of people who get pulled into that role that it's not, it doesn't mean you don't love someone. It doesn't mean that you don't want to be there and support them, but not everyone is a carer. You know, not everyone has the right, um, yeah, like personality, I guess, or qualities to be a carer. And especially with someone, it's different if it's someone that you don't know, if it's your job, but mm, if it's yeah. your, life partner Mm. yeah that's like a really tough thing to do so I was glad so she kept working and um I kind of took took up that role and prevented him from burning the house down and everything and that really changed me I think like being there during that time because you realize how quickly things can change yeah so it's I think I came back quite different after that and I certainly had a different a more different experience than my siblings did, but did you I become also become even closer to him. While yeah, you were doing I think that? so. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And it was nice to be home as well because obviously we didn't know. So like it was Christmas twenty eighteen when things start kind of started going downhill and he stopped being able to walk by himself, which is kind of the beginning of the end. How old was he? He was sixty eight. Mm. So not yes, yeah, that's young. Mm. I think to mm. me. And yeah, so he stopped being able to walk on his own, which kind of meant that, okay, well now we need to care because if someone can't walk on their own, geez, have you ever tried to lift like an 85 kg person? You can't. My mom's 70, 71. I'm, you know, strong, but geez, like I just never realized how heavy. It's like a dead weight. It is. Yeah. yeah, And you can't do it by yourself. So as soon as that happened, it was like, well, we need help and things and now But of course, when he started going downhill, we didn't yet know about Alana um, because her diagnosis came, I think, in the February. So like seven weeks or something after I moved home. So I was glad that I was there because I think if my mom was by herself, like trying to deal with um, my stepdad going downhill and everything. And at the same time, like learning about Alana's diagnosis, I think like that's just quite a lot. And they live about it's a five hour drive from where my mom lives. So. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not she, easy. Yeah. And for a child, you know, you want to be there for all mm. their appointments and mm. find out what the hell's going on and everything, but you can't leave old mate at home. He's going to set the house on fire, you know? So I think there was a lot about that time that was just so, um, it was just such Crazy a time. dark comedy. Yeah. Mm. Cause like there were just some things we were like, this is nuts. Who mm. would sign up for this? No mm. one. This mm. is crazy. Yeah. So how do you think that's changed you when you've come back? What's different about you? Um, well, you, you really, I guess my stepdad was someone who, he had a real zest for life. And I think anyone who knew him, and there are thousands of people around the world who go, oh yeah, he just loved life and getting out there until he was a real extrovert. So like always had to have people around or be visiting people. And it used to drive my mum crazy and everything. But I suppose it's... um it's about, it's not about just your life. It's about your legacy as well, because it was an interesting process, like his funeral and everything. He wasn't prepared 
we were prepared for his death. He wasn't and wouldn't accept that he was going to die. So unfortunately we didn't really get a lot of those close personal hallmark moments that you see on movies. We kind of ask people about their wishes and whatever. No, he was okay. pretty convinced that he was going to get better and live forever. Um, even as, you know, it was pretty obvious that he wasn't even going to be able to walk again, let alone do anything else. I think in some ways the process of like planning for his death and planning for his funeral was a process that um, you learn a lot about people through other people. And it makes mm. you realize, geez, we're all creating our own legacies every day without realizing it. A legacy isn't something that you do on the last day of your life through an autobiography. It's every day. Yeah. And what the people in your life say about you and the kind of stories that people will talk about you, you know, that kind of thing is, that's what we're doing now. That's every day. And yeah, it just made me realize, you know, he had a life that was um, really quite special. He loved, I mean, a lot like you and that he loved just talking to people and just hearing their stories and he would just spend hours just, he just thought every single person was fascinating. And he's, yeah, and he's just done the most incredible things. Like he did a, a horseback ride trek across Iceland and he started a bungee jumping business in Cyprus and like he's just done these things where you go who does all this but it all stems from a person who just says yes to things or just says why not and I think that's a great legacy because I think yeah having money and being successful and doing all those things that's that's great but you actually you can't take it with you you know and the things that you, I mean, you can't really take anything with you, but the things that you can leave behind, like who cares about money? Who cares about anything? It's like, I just loved hearing stories from his whole life about, yeah, just like, remember that time when we did this? And it just makes you want to say yes to more things. And I think that's what life is really all about. Mm, makes you want to get on your bike. Yeah, well, and just say yes to things because Mm. it's so easy to go, oh, I'm too tired to do that or I don't think I will or whatever. But he was just someone who always just said, "Eh, why not? I don't know how to ride a horse, but I'll learn. And then had this this amazing experience that like, who does that? And so, yeah, I think that's something I brought back with me and also just how um, that patience is key actually, because people go through things in their own time, including myself, like in their own way. And my mom grieved in her own ways. And in some ways it was maddening because I'd be like, how can you be at work? Why aren't you here? But that was her her way, her way mm. because everyone's unique, you know? Yeah. And so I think yeah. you just learn to accept that people are actually doing the best they can and they're trying to do things and balance things in the best way that they can and some people are able to do more in certain areas and some people are able to do more in other areas and that when you take a step back and look at the whole it's actually things are in balance it actually works out but it's just when you try and make everyone react the same as you because it comforts you you have to really check yourself and go actually this might be what comforts me but other people might like a bit of space other people might like this I think it's it's um taught me to have a bit of 
a bit of patience and just try and step back and see things for a bigger picture. Did that motivate you to create changes in Chiksu Ride's bikes? I don't know if his death kind of, I guess, if anything, it motivated me to want to share that that legacy, that message. I think women can be um, martyrs a little bit. Like, it's almost like, oh, you know, I'm too busy and kids and things and oh, don't worry, just you do what you want and whatever. But I think it it builds up resentment over time of like looking at friends or looking at your husband or partner or brothers, whatever, and just going, oh, well, they're going on all, the, all these trips and doing things they want to do and I'm not getting to do things I want to do. But in actual fact, I think it's about saying yes to things and it could just be little things like you know, just saying yes to going for a bike ride with someone or saying yes to meet up for a coffee. And you don't have to fill your days with endless activities and just feel knackered at the end of every day. Mm. But I think just looking at like weeks turn into months into years pretty quickly. Yeah. So I think just really looking at your week or looking at your month and saying, what am I doing that's for me? And not even in a selfish way, just in a, what am I saying yes to? this week or this month you know what am I saying no to and what what is that preventing me from doing who's that preventing me from meeting and connecting yeah, with yeah that's a good one yeah because like it's so easy to just be like oh you know I just need to get through to the end of the month and then things will settle down and I don't know how many versions of that I've heard and I, I'm you know I'm no exception I'm guilty of saying it because we're all just trying to do the best we can but, you know, oh, if I could just get to the end of this week, everything will settle down. But in actual fact, it never will. No. It won't because what we're living now is our life. That is yeah, that's what's today. happening. Yeah. That's today. Exactly. Yeah. Like, so I think... It's not on hold till tomorrow. Yeah. Mm. Or the end of next week mm. or whatever. So I think you kind of kid yourself, rationalize maybe your life and where you're at by saying oh, you know, things are just crazy right now. I just need to wait until things settle down. When actual fact, we need to kind of just stop and say, I'm not saying yes to enough things for me. I need to just take a step back and go, okay, I'm just going to plan out or like choose a few days in the next month. And, you know, a couple of days in a month, anyone can, or half days, a couple of hours even, I'm going to do something that's for me. And not just, you know, whether that's reading a book cool fine but I think getting some fresh air getting in the outdoors going to see people and just have a chat doesn't need to be about anything super deep and I think that's what puts off a lot of women too because often we we want to talk about things that are happening in our lives to quite a deep detail and you think oh, I've only got an hour so I'm, I won't even touch the surface of everything that's happened so there's no point in catching up for an hour because <laughs> you know and it's funny because then my husband will be like, oh, I saw so-and-so yesterday. And I'll be like, oh, how's things with his wife and job? And what happened with that thing? He's like, oh, no. And I was like, well, what did you talk about the whole time? He's like, I don't know. Like, Nothing. And I just think it's so funny. Like his younger brother, um, who's in Cougar PD at the moment, he's been doing a trip around Australia and he's coming to, to Adelaide, I think, uh, um, early next week. I don't even know what day it is. Friday. Yeah, so probably early next week. And he said, oh, I caught up with Brendan. And I said, oh, you know, is he excited? How's he doing? What's happening in Kirkpeedy? How's the trip been going and whatever? He's like, I don't know. Like, I just was like, what do men actually talk about? And I think um, 
women could really take a they talk leaf about out the gadgets that, that they've book. attached to their bikes. Oh, see, they, I think they just talk about Joe's Ute <laughs> because he just he has had the same Ute since he moved to Australia in like 1999 or 2000, and it's like kind of a a little bit of a museum piece in his own mind. And anyway, he lent it to his younger brother um, to to drive around and everything. And seriously, they'll send photos to each other, not of Brendan, just of the Ute in yeah. different places, like. Brilliant. The Ute at Alice Springs and the Ute and like it's just so crazy. Anyway, we're gonna have to make room for that early next week. But the point I was making is women I think could take a leaf out of that book and just say, I can hang out for an hour and we could just talk about random stuff without having to feel like I have to get into every single mm. detail of my life. Like, great if you want to, but don't let that put you off if you feel like, oh, it's only forty five minutes. What on earth would we would we only talk about in that time? Just just say yes. Just go. Say yes. Yep. Is yep. that um, like you've got a new app, haven't you? Yeah. Is that how that's kind of structured? Um, so the app really is trying to collect a lot of the resources that we've pulled together. So basically through the Facebook page, groups, social media and things like that, and even just emails um, and comments on blogs, we've got quite a lot of I suppose, knowledge on what it is that women are finding challenging. So whether that's to do with these are the obstacles that I face. So, uh, you know, there's a chunk of them that's around um, the technical aspect of bikes or like bike maintenance. I think there's a a large group of women who are kind of like, I don't understand anything about this and it freaks me out. And it actually is an obstacle for me going out and riding because what happens if I get a puncture or what happens if this happens and I'm stuck by myself and I can't fix it and it becomes a real source of anxiety and it it's so easy to kind of let these obstacles become a reason to say no mm. and I suppose there's um, the app is called mind body bike and it really is a collection of the resources that help to knock down the obstacles in those categories those are really the top categories we found people were um messaging us so you know mind wise it was oh, i'm so anxious about riding and i feel like i can't go mountain biking because you know there's this feeling like everything's gnarly downhill tracks and whatever and it's like there are rail trails there's a lot of different type of beginner friendly stuff that you can do so it's yeah we've developed a series of mindfulness and meditations that are developed specifically for cyclists to try and help overcome some of these anxiety things that another good example is like maybe you've had a crash or maybe you like fell off your bike and you got really rattled because of it and you like just had didn't get back on and haven't rode again like that's a huge thing to overcome so we had um yeah like a meditation mindfulness session developed specifically to help um address those feelings of anxiety um yeah for that and body wise you know obviously there's the strength side of things oh i feel really unfit or i'm not really strong or whatever and i feel like i can't keep up and everyone's going to be great and fit and i'm just awful so we've got kind of workouts and strength sessions that don't take more more than five or ten minutes but that you can do to help just start to build up your fitness and then of course there's injuries oh you know I've got my knee or my hip or whatever it is so we've also created stretches and foam rolling and yoga and things that really help to loosen everything up 
So I suppose it's a, we'd like it to be a resource for, for all women, but I think at the moment it's really directed towards beginners and helping them to get into it because that's where a lot of the, the obstacles exist at the start, I think, because everything, I mean, I remember it myself going, everything is shit. Everything is hard. Is Mm. it always going to be like this? Like trying to ride with my husband on the road when I first started, it just made me feel like crap. And it wasn't because he was saying anything horrible. It was just because everything looked so easy for Mm. him. And Mm. for me, I was like, oh, you know, he'd be like, oh, let's just throw in some efforts. And I'd be like, everything's an effort, (laughs) you know? And it's just really... Um, knowing that there's other people like you, you're not alone. Yeah. So whether you're 20 or whether you're 75, like there's other people who yeah. are kind of going through the same thing. So it's about community as well. And there's some awesome women in all of the Australian mountain bike parks that instantly and for free take on mentor roles. And they'll find you and they'll ride with you and they'll help you. Yeah, that's so true. I think there's a, a real pay it forward mentality particularly in mountain biking I think because I think it's one of those activities where almost unless you've been a pro since you were 10 everyone can remember what it's like to start out everyone can remember what it's like to be like holy crap this is actually really nerve-wracking and really scary and yeah like I suppose when you see people Struck. I mean, just yesterday, Ellie and I went for a ride and a guy came up to us and was like, oh, um, my girlfriend, had, I, I got my girlfriend a bike, but she doesn't want to join in any group rides because she's really afraid and she doesn't want to, you know, like get go with a group and she feels like they're really good and whatever. And we said, oh, well, just send us a message on Facebook, like get her to add us on Facebook and we're happy to take her out because I can remember thinking, Oh, I'm so hopeless at this. Why would I even try? Mm. And that's just an excuse to say no yeah. instead of say yes. Where if yeah. someone says, Anthony, it doesn't matter whether we go one kilometer and it takes us all day. Like we will just that go. That sounds like me and Joe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like we will just go and do it. And it's yeah. that kind of attitude that makes you go, all right, well, I think I can do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds like a great thing. You're, I like you're to working full time on it now? Yes, which is a little nerve-wracking, though I think the advantage is I've been self-employed for quite some time now, so if I had left a salaried job to work on the app full-time, I would probably be panicking a lot more than I am because I kind of am used to managing my own time, I'm used to doing the activities that you need to do every day to keep yourself motivated, and yeah, so I think running your own business is, um, there's always an element of sales in it. So I think I have the foundation skills to be able to do it, but it's not, it's not super easy because you really have to think, what am I doing to build value in the company today? What am I doing to show people that it's worth becoming a member today? And things that I think are a great idea for advertising, you know, like this is the benefits that I think, may not actually resonate with the so it's really just trying to get your mind into the there's a lot of um marketing thought processes that actually go into it because you can't just go hey this is really great you should join because there's a thousand there's a hundred thousand thing like you think about everything you see on facebook or instagram everything's the new greatest thing you know yeah. so it's very difficult actually to catch someone's attention and you know encourage them to join something that costs money so I think it really is an exercise of going, 
what what transformation what what am I actually offering here and I think for the women's community it's me time it's confidence it's a sense of adventure it's you know and how do you market that you know what images need to accompany what text needs to, so there's a lot actually that goes into thinking about it it's not just going hey this is awesome you should join yeah there's a lot more to it, it sounds than stressful that. I think it's just it burns up a lot of brain energy it does because you really have to sit there and think quite critically and be open to feedback as well I think you can't get too married to things just because you think it's a great idea you have to go oh this isn't actually working so well clearly because xyz isn't converting like we thought so we're going to need to try something new and you kind of have to be adaptable and able to 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 make those changes without really getting um getting too upset about it are you getting good feedback so i think we had a great period and um but it's hard to know what market to focus on as well because there's a um you know the australian market is great and we've got pretty good organic reach here but when it comes to like numbers and real growth i think that's in the uk that's in the us but we're not known there yet we're more known in Australia so I think there's a little bit more of a a, a plan for it for growth over the short term medium term long term but also I was just thinking on the right over here today we've been advertising mainly for women but I think there's an ad that can be an argument to be made to advertise to men who have wives girlfriends sisters mothers daughters who want to ride like just yeah. like the guy we bumped in yeah. yesterday and that yeah. had never occurred to me until kind of today and mm. so that's really yeah there's there's still a lot to be explored but it's it really is just a process of refining what is it that we're offering and making sure that there's fresh content and that when people email you and say hey do you have anything for me i have a hip injury or whatever going great idea if you have an injury that you're trying to be mindful of then other people likely do as well so let's make sure we've got something for you so i think um it's encouraging it's great and it's going well and i'm looking forward to it being able to not only pay for itself but have you know be be fruitful for for kate and i as well so i think we're a little wise off that but it's encouraging kate's your partner she is yeah Yeah. my business partner yeah yeah my work wife (laughs) she tried to call me before she's like a cycling champion herself isn't she she is so she's um kate bates has been to the olympics twice and she's been to the world champions championships 15 times and she won the world champs in on the track in 2008. So she really had um, an elite career. Like mm. she really was an elite sportswoman from young to in her 20s. And then she had to retire because of an injury. And I think that that's never easy. I think it's easier mm. if you choose to retire and you choose how you want to go out and everything. But, you know, if you're forced to retire because of an injury, I suppose there's yeah that's quite difficult but yeah she had um two kids and they're delightful and now she's kind of thinking oh, i love cycling and i'd love to stay involved in it and she does um sports commentating like cycling commentating for channel seven okay so she does like the tour down under commentating and um yeah and so that's kind of part of her career is really 
professional on-camera spokeswoman business lady and um and then I suppose the other part of her career is spending time on the phone with me going crap 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 what should we do about this um you know this problem that's just come up or whatever so I think she probably has two two aspects to her to her life right now but we've become really we've developed quite a um a, a deep friendship I think as well as being business partners because it's been a year and a a year and a half now since we first really started talking about working together and when you spend two hours a day on the phone with someone like of course we talk about things that aren't just um about work and then yeah. you realize kind of probably like talk to her as much as I talk to Joe during the day because of course he's out and at work and yeah, when you said your partner, I was like, she kind of is. Yeah. Like, yeah, I have my husband and then I have my work wife. <laughs> it's like quite funny. That's nice. Yeah. And you both got like completely different skills. Yeah. As far as this business. I mean, I'm still trying to work out what my skills are. I think um, for me, the things that I'm most confident doing is being out in the community because CWRB really started doing events like at one point I was doing 10 rides per week I was the fittest I'd ever been I was doing like three or four mountain bike rides a week and maybe like four or five road rides a week um and just taking newbies out and things so not necessarily fast or far but geez it made like a really big difference um Mm. back then but yeah it really was the grassroots um thing of going newbies turn up and we'll take you on a bike path ride and get you going and great thing about that was actually seeing little groups form and go forth and go out and kind of do their own their own thing and there's um you know groups that I would take out mountain biking and they still ride as a group now and they've been to Canada together and they've been to oh my god like it really is Mm. that so I think if I had any skill I think or what I'm confident doing is creating an environment where that is where that happens and well, you I, I did think... that to me and early when we met in melrose oh, I think that's nice we were about to ride head on into a, a single speed race and you said oh there's yeah. i wouldn't go that way yeah and i think i recall i was on the vodka jelly station um mm. at that point yeah but um yeah i think that's nice of you to say and i've certainly enjoyed getting to know you guys mm. so, god that was Same. what two years more way longer than that yeah you guys were living your best van life then did we have our van camper van caravan 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 just got it yeah so that's nearly four years ago yeah crazy four Mm. years ago um yeah so i i think i happen to be slightly better at the technology side of things than kate who's i think the most common text she sends me is how do I fix XYZ or uh oh emoji? This happened. What do I do? Um, so yeah, I wouldn't say I'm a tech wizard, but certainly I think out of the two of us, she wouldn't mind so me saying. So do you saying. do all the posts, the Instagram <clears throat> stuff, or is that? So she does Instagram and I do Facebook. Okay. They're actually quite different. I didn't get Instagram. Actually, I still don't. I have my own personal page, but I never use it, and I don't really get it. Like okay. I think I'm not as visual. A person I think I prefer storytelling and blogging and the kind of things where it's like you know a picture and a post or something like I kind of get Facebook and how it works with Instagram being quite a visual um, tool I'm kind of like oh yeah like I suppose I don't 
have the appreciation for a real, um, you know, image and photography. Like I just have never mm. really yeah, had well, there's people a creative that are taking, artistic Yeah, they mind. take creative shots with their bikes and the sunsets and but that sort of stuff. But it's wonderful because mm. there's a market there and people enjoy looking at it. I just mm. don't happen to be someone who's very good at it, nor do I spend a lot of time doing it. I'd rather talk about the person in the picture with the bike and how yeah. they got there to be with their bike as opposed to like how can I take this shot so the shadow is over? Nah, whereas Katie has a great, she's great at visual, um, yeah, visually representing things. So I think that's a, a, a skill set that is complementary, but it does sometimes mean that people will go, oh, great post on Instagram this morning. And I'm like, yeah, cool. And then I have to look it up later because I haven't looked at it. So I think there's work to be done maybe to be a bit more cohesive. But uh, Well, I've sometimes sent messages on there and there's been no reply. Oh, yeah, yeah. So now I know why. For sure. Mm. And especially if you've meant uh, message my personal page, I would never check it. I have the app on my phone, but I just, if you don't, if your brain doesn't click with visual things, it's not a habit to check it, if that makes sense. <clears throat> yeah, the the most times I would check it is to see who's using the hashtag to Chicks see if right. I can, yeah, like contact them to, mm. um, yeah, to get in touch and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. That would be the most I use it for. I'm so terrible. <laughs> so what, what do you want to say to, like they've gotten to know you a little bit now, if in fact any of them listen, but what would you like to say to the thousands of women that hashtag Chicks Who Ride Bikes? Ah. Uh, I think I would want to say get in touch and share your story. I don't think I've met one person, one woman who rides a bike that doesn't have a great story. And I think even if you don't feel like yours is special or, you know, and probably especially if you don't feel like yours is special, you're probably a great person to talk to because you don't know who you're going to inspire. I think that by sharing a little bit about your life, like, <clears throat> you know, there's a woman in Brisbane, she doesn't, um, we used to ride a little bit together in Brisbane. She has triplets. What? Like that mm. is just so crazy. And you just think, okay, like that's pretty unique and whatever. But when you talk to her about what that actually involves day to day, like, that is, it's just crazy. Like she might not be a, an Olympian or like a track world champion, not to take away anything, achievements from people who are, but I think an achievement is having triplets and still being able to get out for a bike ride. Like, yeah. I just think that's incredible. And even just today, like I went to a, um, a gym session this morning and there was a woman who came in um, for the same session. It was her birthday and she turned 72. And I just went, Okay, well, that's just incredible. Like Good she's coming in at 72 to do the same gym session as I'm doing. And that's just amazing. So I think um, she might not have thought anything of it. Oh, it's my birthday and I'd like to spend the morning going to the gym. Cool. But actually by sharing that story, there might be other people who go, oh, wow, I always thought I might enjoy going to the gym, but I never did because I thought I was too old mm. or whatever. Or You know, so I just think... Um, if you're using the hashtag or if you've seen our page or anything and you kind of like what we do, a lot of what we do is just try to inspire more people to ride. And you probably have 
more of a story than you know. So just send me a message. Not on Instagram, though, because I won't probably <laughs> check it. But if you send one to the Facebook page or send an email um, to me. Should, can I say my email? Yeah. It's um, Jordana at chicksuridebikes.com. And that I definitely check. Um, so I, I would love to hear from you because you probably have something to say, something to share that will um, inspire other people. And that's really our mission at the end of the day is just to help more women find cycling because riding bikes is rad. Yeah, for sure. Mm. And they were probably all grateful for you for creating this community. <laughs> you know what? I, I think it's that's the least comfortable thing for me is because I don't like to feel as though it's like it, there's a confluence of so many hundred events that create a community. It's not... You can't create something out of thin air. It's but honestly you not me. It is a community. It's not. It's seven years of. You think it's just me? No. It's. I had, you know, I have six to ten volunteers who do rides every single week in different places. Like, I can't. It, growth comes from people buying into your vision, and I think I'm proud that a vision that I had seven or eight years ago, which was like. Oh, I'd love just pe- women to find this a little bit easier than I did having resources to, to start riding. And I, I found it quite tough despite having a husband who rides. I found that no help, like having him around. I thought, oh, if I could just make it a little bit easier for other women to get into it and find this um, hobby, that would be so amazing. Um, but it, it, it's not that alone. It's other people buying into that vision and spending their spare time, like spending spending time that they could be doing other things, helping me to to help other people connect with this vision. So I think that it's um it's a funny thing to be um to be elevated into a position because for me it's like oh I, yeah I feel proud and grateful that that other people resonate with a, a message and with a vision, but I certainly don't feel like, oh, like, oh, you've, I'm not Steve Jobs, <laughs> like, you know? So I think there's a lot of other people who deserve more, um, more praise. I think I, I, I'm, I'm glad that there are thousands of people that, that resonate mm. uh, with, with what we do, but certainly not to the degree where I would elevate myself. <laughs> well, I'm glad you did it. I am too. I'm glad yeah. I met you in early too. Yeah. Thank you. Brilliant. Brilliant story. You're welcome. Anytime. Mm. Maybe we'll do it again. I'd love to. This is a lovely lounge. <laughs> I have to have some beers next time. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be good. Yeah. Is there anything else that you wanted to say or add? Um. <clears throat> I know you've got something else on, so I'm conscious of that. Oh, yeah. Um, no, because I have a call in eight minutes. Yeah, okay. So I'll no say worries. thank you so much for spending some time with me and thanks for listening, everybody. I'll share this on my social pages. Yeah, and, to all um, 18,000 of them. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And make sure you, um, on the podcast app, it's the people we meet. Yep. And well, why don't you do a little plug of the podcast? So you're interviewing people that you meet. And trying to meet, discover no their stories. Mm. Trying to extract it. And what an amazing thing because people all around us it's, have it's incredible a, stories. It's a pleasure to do it, mm. to just sit and hear, hear people tell you their story. Well, and you have a knack because I think 
sharing personal things isn't always easy mm. and you don't want to feel like you're under the you know the magnifying glass but if it feels like just a natural conversation you, you then i well. think it's oh thanks <laughs> <laughs> i think i like to um i like to process things out loud much to my husband's dismay so mm. i think it's nice for me like to talk about my sister and my dad and everything that verbalizing things helps me to figure out how i feel all the important parts of your life that have shaped you yeah and and whether you think it or not they've directed you to do this yeah chicks who ride bikes yeah that is true mm. yeah it's all intertwined mm. so thank you to them <clears throat> thank you to them and thank you to everybody great we'll see you for a ride okay sounds good bye, bye. <laughs>